Since the beginning of September, we have been holding up each element of our worship service and examining it Sunday by Sunday as to its meaning, that it might enrich our experience of worship, that it also might help us think about what about worship we take out into the world. We started with an overall sense of welcome. We then talked about confession and assurance, the passing of the peace. We talked about scripture and its role in worship, the sermon, the prayers of the people, and last week with an extravagant, overflowing service of music, about the role of music in our worship. And today we talk about the offering. So I invite you to help me with our opening prayer before we launch into this message and turn to the back of the order of worship, right before we get to the closing hymn and the benediction, and look at the doxology, which we sing every Sunday. I'm going to start our prayer out, but I invite you to speak the words of the doxology as part of our prayer together. So let us pray together. God, from the churches of Corinth to our own church here in Brookline, we give thanks for your abundance in our lives. That we might have a good and right sense of what it means to be grateful and to be stewards and to share that abundance with others. And as we sing each Sunday, let us pray together here. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise God, the source of all our gifts. Praise Jesus Christ, whose power uplifts. Praise the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And let the people say, Amen. Each week when we sing that, As I wrote to you in my weekly blog, we make a theological statement, namely that all our blessings flow from God and that God is the source of all our gifts. This, I believe, and as I wrote this week, is a radical statement in a capitalist culture. It is a radical statement in which we focus so much on individualism and not the collective. It is a radical statement about what God means materially in each of our lives. And we say it every single week. What I want to offer this morning is partly a meditation on the meaning of the offering, but there's also a little bit of frank financial talk, just a warning. I may have shared with you a few years ago that in my last church, after I had been there a few weeks, there was some grumbling about what I considered to be little tweaks in the worship. But some people considered them big changes. Some people complained that I was too evangelical because I used words like sisters and brothers and children of God, and others complained that I was too Catholic because I liked to make the sign of the cross whenever possible. Some were upset because I couldn't keep, and I wasn't too concerned about keeping the worship to a very timely 60 minutes. (laughs) You all know that well. So we had a worship forum and just switched to air all of these concerns, but a very wise colleague of mine said, when you have that worship forum, don't ask people what they don't like. Ask them what they wouldn't want to do without. Now, it was also interesting in that church because there were some traditions I inherited. One, when we did the announcements, it was an open forum. You can imagine how that went. As well as invitations for the prayers was an open forum. So it could get a little, shall we say, spontaneous, and sometimes a little bit out of bounds. 
So when we asked people in this worship forum, after worship, what were the things they wouldn't want to do without, they mentioned everything. The sermon, the scripture, the music, the call to worship, even the announcements and the prayers, even the confession. The only thing they left out was the offering. (laughs) Now, I didn't probe further in that conversation about what that meant. Did they just resent giving an offering every week? Did they consider it a very mundane, practical matter that had no spiritual uplift to it? I'm not sure exactly what the reason was. But it got me curious about why we do the offering each week. Someone astutely pointed out to our treasurer and me this week that we have started publishing the results of our weekly offering in the back of the order worship in the announcement section. And if you looked this week, you'll see that it was $309 we collected last week in the offering. The week before, it was $209.65. So this person wrote an email and very aptly noted, this raises some questions for me. One, does this mean that the church is incredibly poor? How can this church sustain itself on about $200 to $300 a week? It's a good question. The second question is, What then is an acceptable donation in the offering? I see about 150 people here, but the collection is 200, so if I give in $10, that's more than my fair share. So I have to tell you that if the plates were our only source of revenue, we would be doing what we're doing now. I probably wouldn't be here except in a volunteer capacity. Susan probably wouldn't be here unless she was willing to volunteer her time. We wouldn't have an associate pastor or a seminarian or a facilities manager or custodians. And we probably, as you noted today in the shifted weather, wouldn't turn the heat on for a few weeks. Because it costs this church about $50,000 a year to heat our old oil heaters. Now, as you might guess, over many decades, like many churches across the country, we have gotten creative about how to come up with our revenue to make this institution run. And this institution runs as a church, but in some ways, much as I have discovered over the past seven years, much like a nonprofit organization with all the sorts of details that nonprofits need to take care of, including insurance and liability and maintenance and all the sorts of utilities that we take care of. There's a little bit of a history here also. You know that this land, when the Europeans came, was settled by people who made it a theocracy. The idea that God was in charge of the government and they set up utopian communities. And as such, the church and the state were melded together. And that continued even after the republic was founded, in that the government funded churches But because of our First Amendment, they realized there was a problem there, which started a trend of disestablishment, getting the church and the government separated in their funding. The thing was, the states still funded the churches. And Massachusetts, you may or may not know, was the last to stop doing this as late as 1833. And it forced churches then to get more creative about where their money came from. The argument had run that the government should support a church, because it's something that improves the good of society. And you can see the legacy of a lot of our nonprofit status in the legacy of these establishment principles. But with disestablishment came new trends. And that's when you got people starting to sell off pews so that the Rempelakis family right here might own this pew and give us a certain donation each year for it and we put their name on it. 
The same might be true for, say, the Chernin Shu and the Canty uh, de Viverum families over here, that they might share this pew jointly and we put their name on it. If you go into Old North Church in the North End, you will see names on the pews, little condominiums in the church sanctuary right there, with their own doors and even locks on them. And of course, the theory went, or the practice went, that if you gave a lot of money, you had a good pew up front. And if you didn't give as much money, you had a pew in the back. And there were free pews in the balconies, but there was a sort of social stigma attached to that. Now, Methodists and Baptists didn't like this practice at all. So what they did was they put a subscription book out that said how much it cost to run the church. And then they passed it among the pews, and you decided each in your place how much you could do to support that amount. What we do, of course, is a pledge drive in which 50% of our revenue comes from our pledges. And some of you give your pledges right here in the offering. And that actually is a big part of what sustains us. We also have been blessed with a healthy endowment from our three founding churches, of which we take a yield, but with market changes, we're cutting down that yield, which has caused us some cuts this past year. And we also have some rentals we do with organizations during the week. This past week, we had a birthday party and we had a special mass incarceration event. We also rent out our parsonage at Brookline Rates, which brings in a significant amount of income into this place. These are all blessings and gifts to this congregation, many of which were established and preceded us. So then, why do we collect an offering when it is only a very thin wedge in the pie of our overall finances? Well, what I want to argue to you today that I consider the offering less a practical matter although it could be more of a practical matter, than an important spiritual and symbolic matter for all of us, that we take up the offering. As we considered the questions from the astute observer this week about publishing the offering numbers, a question came up from one of our treasurers, how do you define the offering plates? Do you want to include the donations made toward pledges? Are those donations made online through a service that we hire? Are those mailed into the office? Or do you want to separately report those donations made to various mission funds? For instance, when we bring in money for one great hour of sharing an ecumenical offering or hurricane relief, or when we post the funds for what we make in our strawberry festival and what that money goes toward. And how much of this information, in the spirit of transparency, should we make public? These are all good questions for the running of the church, and I imagine in the churches in Corinth, they started to have some of these same questions. The offering to me is the one time when we very deliberately acknowledge our material lives, the lives in which you and, all, you and I all live every day, the way we spend the money in various ways on resources we need to live this life. And the offering is the one time in which we share that together and demonstrate it collectively. It is an important piece of our life together. It represents what the church in the second chapter of Acts said, that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. You see, I believe the churches in those early days were thinking not only of themselves, but the people who needed the money, the same way that we have a missions committee that gives grants out to organizations doing good work in the community, the same way we raise money for hurricane relief or special offerings of relief around the world. 
You see, money itself is actually just a symbol. It's a symbol of time we spent working. It's a symbol of interest that has been accrued over time. It is a symbol of investing energy and of productivity. It's a symbol of what you can buy, that instead of going to the movies or spending it on food or gasoline or medicine or self-education or building supplies, the money went into the plate for what we try as best as possible to turn into God's work. Sometimes when we make it all about money, though, I think that we lose sight of what it really represents. The resources that you and I need to sustain us in this life. About 12 years ago, I was visiting a small little church in Tanzania, out in the middle of the cornfield. The service there went for three hours. One, of it, one hour of it was the sermon. And we sat there in the heat as people enthusiastically and with great joy participated in worship. People who, compared to us, live in great poverty. And when the offering came forward, money had actually been put in the place. But also what came up were gallons of oil and flour and soap, things that people needed to live their lives. And I had the privilege and honor of distributing some of those goods to the people who needed it, and also giving them some money. And the pastor directed us who in the family to give money to, who was not the one who had perhaps a drinking problem and might spend it on alcohol to numb his pain, rather than spending it on the things the family needed. In that sense, the power of the offering became very real to me in a moment of what we do here when we pass the plates. You'll also, as you just heard, we, throughout the month, try to collect donations that go to the Brookline Food Pantry at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. And we bring that forward in the offering on Communion Sundays to demonstrate those very real, tangible needs for the more than 800 families that use the food pantry throughout the world. But I'm going to suggest a few things about how you might think of the offering going forward. Because I have two requests. One, which I made clear to the ushers this past year, is I think it's important for the plate to go all the way down the pew and back. That every single hand in this place touches it. We might think about how to do that up here logistically, but we'll figure it out later. But to pass it down because each one of us plays a part in contributing to the overall life of this place. But it's not just about money. It's sometimes having a visitor put in their welcome card. Or putting in the names of your saints. Or we've even had surveys to try to get your understanding of the work we should do in justice. To put it in the place. Or perhaps to put a prayer for what you need in the place. You see, I think there's something powerful when we say... Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Praise God the source of all our gifts. And out of that giftedness, we give back with thanksgiving into this common plate. When we pass the offering, we are remembering that we are all in this together. I also believe that in addition to touching the plate, as best we can, we should all try to put something in even if it's the loose change in your pockets. You see, sometimes it can be something big or something small, but the fact that we do an actual physical act of placing something in the place reminds us of our common good that we share here together. 
I believe when we make our pledges, and pledges are certainly important to the work of this church, we should probably budget in how much we might give in the plate each week. Say I'm coming 30 times in worship, perhaps I'll give a dollar each time, $30 right there that will go in the plate. Just a little bit extra as part of this symbolic spiritual act that we do here together, which supports the work of God, or so we pray. Now, one of the things I wanted to emphasize as we've done this series on worship is the fact that what we do in here is practice for what we take out into the world with us. And I believe that a common place, a plate in which we all contribute, makes a big difference in how we think about the world. In a country in which the ideologies of rugged individualism and self-reliance and self-madeism tend to tear apart the fabric of our sense of collective responsibility, it is important that we share the plates. It is important that we remember we bear our burdens together for one another. When we have trouble figuring out how that health care is a right for all that we all contribute to, whether we are healthy or sick, whether we have a pre-existing condition or not, I believe understanding this sense of collective is important. In a country where we can't agree on the regulations for gun safety so that every child in this country grows up in a safe neighborhood, we have an important task to remember the significance of the collective. And it doesn't matter to me whether it's a check for $10,000, which happened this past year, or whether it's just a couple of pennies in my pocket, which often happens when I show up into worship. It's important that we all take a moment And maybe if we don't put in a prayer, or some spare change, or a check, or our pledge, or our new member, our our visitor card, perhaps we just give a blessing as the plate goes by to indicate that I have received this life from God in God's abundance and all the resources with which I live my life. And out of that sense of abundance and gratitude, I now share that abundance and gratitude again with God, giving back with a joyful and cheerful heart. Amen.